uh, as a church, as you know, we partner with the NCMI team, and recently we had an international team meeting, which was awesome. We had the equip, which was outstanding. God really spoke to us in a big way. And we have the privilege of the team leader, Tyron, with us this morning. His wife's gone back. He has two of his three boys with him. One led prayer, one was leading a song. It's like the whole deal. We've got the whole package deal. <laughs> but Tyron, want to welcome you up. Tyron, not only is a team leader, but he's, him and Nicole are good friends with the Dull and I. And he's one of the three that we kind of are accountable to. So if anything goes wrong, who do you call? Yeah, Ghostbusters are foot. <laughs> Tyron. <laughs> we call Tyron and Nicole. And we call the Lord first, of course. <laughs> but it's them that will help us through whatever we need to go through. So not only are they able to come and speak into the life of the church, but they're there for us in an individual way and for our elders. So we welcome you. It's good to see you. Grace. Well, well, thank you. Good morning, everybody. It's an absolute delight and privilege to be sharing the Word of God with you this morning. I do want to thank you for your partnership, your friendship. Yeah, I don't know if you noticed, but you hosted all that he announced that was happening. You hosted it here. And if you were involved in any way, thank you. If you weren't, well, thank you anyway for lending us your venue. But it's been an incredible month. I've been here four weeks. And it's been an absolute delight. I have to go back to life and back to reality tomorrow. So back on the plane and back to the US of A. But it's just been a delight to be in your country. I've been in many of your regions in your country. And uh, you live in a great place. You really do. And I realize you have challenges, uh, as like everyone else. But you have other challenges too. But within the challenges, this is a great, great country. If you don't believe me, just go anywhere else. And you'll realize just how beautiful this country is. We've enjoyed the time. Thank you for your friendship. And uh, thank you for staying the course. As a church cornerstone, I, uh, I do want to commend you. I know that over the last few weeks, you've had many people preaching and challenging you in many different ways. And challenge is good. But I also want to stop and acknowledge that God has done great things and God is doing great things in and through this local church. And before we get another challenge this morning, I, I do want to just recognize that you have been faithful. You've stayed true to the call, stayed, stayed true to opening your hands and releasing God's people all over, even through a crazy season like this. And so I just want to say thank you. Uh, you are serving God faithfully, and we are grateful for that. And uh, yeah, we are who we are because of your faithfulness to the Lord. And thank you personally. As a family, we are blessed by this church and as a team. So thank you to the elders and to the people and to the saints and you sinners in this room. We are very grateful for having you here this morning. If you have a Bible, please go with me to the uh, First Thessalonians chapter 1. First Thessalonians chapter 1. And uh, I, I, it would be wrong to just move into this message without just highlighting or challenging or reminding us a little of what God's been doing. I certainly don't fully understand this crazy season we've been in, but I realize at times I've been so focused on what our governments are doing and what the people are doing, and can I even be saying, I've been watching what the church has been doing, but I've been disappointed in what I've seen because my faith has been in people and systems and structures, and in, in this crazy few years, God really challenged me, are you seeing what I'm doing in this season? 
I don't know if you have been seeing what God has been doing. I keep saying that we're not to be distracted by what God's not doing because we're not able to see what He is doing. Don't be distracted by what He's not doing because you can't see what He is. Proverbs 29, 18 says it like this. The message says, when people can't see what God is doing, they stumble all over themselves. But when they attend to what God reveals, that's where they're most blessed. And so for me, I, I, I'm, I'm saying, Lord, what are you doing in the craziness and all the, let's make sense of this. And, and I want to remind you that God's never stopped anything he was doing through the season. He hasn't stopped anything he was doing, but he has maybe paused some of what we're doing in order to remind us again of what he is doing and to remind us that without him, we cannot do anything. We've claimed that and we've quoted that John 15, but this crazy season has forced us to realize without God, we can do nothing. Jesus said that, but now we've seen that again and again. And I'm convinced of this, that it's in seasons of crisis and seasons of confrontation, which has been a bit of a season we've been through. It's there that God reveals his destiny afresh, way more than in seasons, I think, of comfort and convenience. And so God has brought something of the the truth back, the destiny of his people back to the forefront of what he intended. And I do think it's incredibly exciting to be a part of that. I'm convinced in the season, God has reclaimed his church. And I want to say that carefully because the building is not the church. People in this room are the church. So the question I ask you, have you allowed God to reclaim you? He's taken us back. He wants his church back. He's reclaimed his church. As I've traveled and as things have opened and I've been on the road again, I've been global, going traveling around the world, I've realized again, it's not the self-indulgent immorality of our culture that hinders God's work. It's actually the self-sufficient mentality of his people that would hinder what God is trying to do through his church. And so I believe God has reclaimed. And the question for you and I this morning, have you allowed God to reclaim you, take you back, and not try and do this without him, do this with him, and back what it is he's doing and getting involved in those things. I also think it's been a season of resetting. I know people are freaked out when they heard that word, or the great reset. Yeah, there's some weird stuff happening out there, but I want to suggest the church needed a bit of a reset. And we are the church. And I know the IT guys get mad, but it's the best illustration I have. The IT guys, please forgive me for a moment, my ignorance. But whenever there's an issue with my computer, I don't call IT guys. I just unplug it, hold my breath, hold my fingers and pray 15 seconds and then put it back in and hope everything comes back. And to be honest, not everything ever comes back. And that's not bad because my computer is at least quicker and more effective. And why I'm saying that is because I think some of the stuff we've been giving ourselves to has not necessarily been from God. And so the reset is getting us back to getting our agenda from the Word of God, not from the world. And I do think there's been this great reset. Maybe we've been so focused doing church that we actually forgot to be the church. And God's brought us back to being the church rather than just doing church on a Sunday. I believe there's been a refocus. The question everyone asks is, what is God's will for my life? And it's a great question, but it's the wrong question. So what is God's will and how do we fit into the will of God? That's the word of God. And so coming back to God's will and how does Cornerstone fit into that rather than how does we, how does God, what does God want for us? No, no, what does God want and how do we fit 
into that. And I think it's been the, the sanity for this church the last 40 years is fitting into the will of God and serving the plans and the purposes of God. I also believe there's been a realigning of our hearts with His. He's realigned our hearts with His and He's repositioned us for where He wants us to be. You know, the early church, when you read Scripture, I think was a lifeboat, operated like a lifeboat. But it would seem the modern day church is operating like the love boat. The placer boat. Isn't that what they used to call it here? Remember those days? The love boat. And while we love each other, we're so consumed with each other, we forget there's a world out there. We're not a cruise ship. We're a battleship. And God's called us to reach out and touch people around. And I'd also believe that this season God's released us from many things in order to release us into greater things. I have said this from this pulpit a few times this year already, but when I was in 2020, at the beginning of 2020, before this crazy season hit, I was in Australia, and I felt the Lord say, 2020 is gonna be a season of release. I was like, that's awesome, man. Come on, Lord, bring the backing of heaven. Here we go. And so I was in Australia preaching, and I said to all my Aussie mates, this is a season of release. God's releasing us. And then I flew straight back to the U.S., landed in the U.S., and the doors shut, the whole world shut down. And my Aussie mates dared challenge me and said, hey, Tyrant, <coughs> how's that release looking? To which I responded, well, I've never claimed to be a prophet, so there you go. But I want to tell you this, looking back, we've been released from things. And I never saw this coming, but this I know, God's released us from things, not for the sake of release, but always to release us into greater things, to be more effective in the season that God has for us. And so it's into that context this morning, I want to just share from this text in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. And as I think about this church, and I mean, I, I don't know some of your history, I want to suggest that this church carries something of the favor of God. You carry the favor of God. And how many of you know you cannot earn the favor of God? That's what makes it His favor. But I also realized that, and this morning, I don't want to give you a message on how to carry His favor or even what to do to earn His favor. But I, I do think from Scripture, we can see churches and people and, and truth that God favors people who prioritize certain things. If it's us doing our thing and hoping God's in it, how many of you know eventually God's favor leaves? Because God's not about what we're doing, it's about what He's doing. And, and when we give our attention to these things, I believe it's the priorities of a people that God will favor. What is the focus? And it's been somewhat of your history, but we're here to talk about the future and make sure we're contending for what's still to come for individuals in this room. And so I sense the favor, I see the favor, experience some of that from this church globally and here in this region. But I wanna say, carry God's favor carefully. Be, ca be careful with the favor of God. Don't abuse it, don't use it for your thing. Use God's glory for God's favor, for God's honor to make much of Jesus. And to continue to trust God and be trustworthy in what it is He's given you because we wanna steward wisely in these seasons as individuals and in the mission and the mandate that God's given us. And so here we see in a, in a context, picking many scriptures, and I felt God say really highlight this to this church again this morning. So here we go. I'm gonna be faithful to the Lord, and I trust you'll hear God afresh this morning for what he's saying to you as an individual. This church, the Thessalonica church, again, please be reminded, uh, and I understand you guys are meeting a series through the book of Acts which is all you do, is a, and it's great. Keep going. 
because it is the Word of God. But here's the thing, you'll pick up, if you go and read in Acts 17, you'll see a little more around the Thessalonica church and what they were involved in. But interesting thing about the Thessalonica church, it was birthed or planted in a season of persecution. And I hope you're seeing that and hearing that, that in trials and, and tragedies and persecution, God still establishes His purposes and His plans. It wasn't a convenient time, but God spoke, God res and people responded, and this church was birthed in persecution. In actual fact, what we're doing this morning, these people were not allowed to do. They were persecuted for doing what we're doing this morning. They were, uh, there was such opposition to what they were about. In intimidation was to, uh, coming against them, but in it all, they birthed this church. Paul birthed this church in response to the Lord. And it's interesting how that in three Sabbaths, three weeks, the church was established. Now, we've been partnering, and we, NCMI, with many churches around the world, 45 years, I believe it is, and uh, we plant churches all over the world, and we're grateful for the opportunity to do that. But in our history of 45 years of church planting, I've never, in our togetherness, ever seen a church established in three weeks. In actual fact, there are churches that are 10, 20, 30 years old that are still trying to be established. And again, maybe the challenge is we've been busy with church things and things our culture wants rather than the things that God wants because when these things are settled and are pursued, it seems like things get established quickly and we can get on with the mission and the mandate that God has for us. And so it's into that context we see this great church being birthed. And let's read together. First Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 1. It says, Paul, Silas, and Timothy... To the church of the Thessalonians and God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. We always thank God for all of you mentioning you in our prayers. We continue to remember before our God and Father, your work produced by faith. Your work produced by faith. You see, what I've realized more and more through the season is that fear rises in the absence of faith. Where we lack faith, fear rises. And I wanna just tell you this morning, faith is not a feeling. It's got nothing to do with feeling. Faith is actually wrapped up in the person of Jesus Christ. The book of Hebrews in chapter 12 says that Jesus is the author, the perfecter, the pioneer, the finisher of our faith. And so the question, the challenge for us is, we don't just do work, it's work produced by faith, by faith, and we need to be continually be a people of faith, by faith, uh, operating in the things that God has called us to. We don't just do things for the sake of doing it. We don't, we don't do things out of presumption. How many of you know we need to hear God more and more? I, I love the story of, of, of Peter stepping out of the boat and walking on water. You remember that story? And people say, oh, wow, he walked on water. He actually didn't walk on water. He walked on the Word which happened to be water at that moment. When he, he saw Jesus walking, he said, if it's you, Jesus, tell me to come. He didn't say, Jesus, there you are, I'm coming to you. He said, if it's you, tell me to come. And Jesus said, come. And he stepped out and he began to walk on the word because Jesus said, come. Are you seeing that, friends? And so it's not just we walk on water, we walk on the word of God because faith comes by hearing and hearing comes to the message, the word of God. Tune our ears to hear what God is saying Work produced by faith. Then he says, your labor prompted by love. Now, I'm going to step on our toes. Mine too this morning. 
And so it would seem in this last crazy season, we've lacked love as God's people. We, we've been perhaps caught up in the crossfire and the opinions and the perspectives of all that's been going on in our world and we began to dislike and unfollow and unlike and dislike and come against and all I want to say is friends let's stop taking each other out and let's show the love of God even though we don't agree with others we can still love them and show the love of God I'm not saying compromise I'm saying don't give us your opinions because no one cares what you think as no one cares what I think. I, I've been told you don't say enough or you've saying too much. I don't care. I don't want to say what I think. <laughs> Social media is, is great, but it's also not so great. And the reason it's not so great is because we can say whatever we want thinking there's no ramifications, but whatever we're saying is taking people out. And I think we, the church, globally have exposed our hearts a little by actually not showing a whole lot of love, but giving a lot of hate and a discontinue and disunity and and, and again, friends, I, I hope we've realized that's the, pl the enemy's strategy to get us to fight each other. Uh, a couple of amens. That's cool. Thank you. But I'm challenging us going forward. Be careful what you're listening to and how you're listening and what kind of heart we're expressing. Because it seems that our work has not only been not produced by faith, but our labor is not prompted by love. Our labor has been prompted by attitude. or ad We're going to prove ourselves rather than the love of God. I've said this about social media, forgive me, I know it's getting old, but it's the best I have. That social media might not have enabled the lame to walk, but it has enabled the dumb to speak. And the dumb need to stop speaking, and we, God's people, need to start loving all people. All people. Because I do believe God favors the people who understand the true love, God by love, God's love, we don't have to agree with everyone, but we've got to love people because Jesus loves us. Amen? Okay, quiet. Then we can move on. Okay. Your labor prompted by love and your endurance inspired by hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. Your endurance inspired by hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, this crazy season in my nation, the United States, 35,000 churches have shut down and have never reopened again. 35,000, I think it's more than that, but that's the statistic I last heard. Now let me tell you friends, that's troubling, that's heart-wrenching, that's very sad to hear that 35,000 churches closed. Why is that? Could it be that endurance was inspired by hope in ministry, in buildings, in church, in leadership, in something other than Christ? Paul doesn't write to this church and says, I'm so stoked and well done for your endurance inspired by your hope in me, the planter of this church, but by your hope in Christ Jesus. Where do we get our hope? How do you stay inspired? How do you stay the course? Where does your hope come from? How do we endure? And can I just say again this morning, stating the obvious, if it's not in Christ, you're done, you're finished, you'll never finish the race. We're never going to stay the course. For whatever comes next, we've got to come back to the revelation and truth. It's Christ, always Christ, only Christ. Anything other than Christ will be a disappointment for all of us. And I've seen people literally fall aside and fall away through this crazy season. And I believe it's because their hope's been inspired by something other than the Lord Jesus Christ. So the priority, number one, 
for people who are favored by God is your priority has to be Christ and Christ alone. How do you endure? How do you stay inspired? Where does your hope come from? Hebrews 13, 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. When this crisis hit and people began to phone me from around the world and said, hey, can you share a message and can you put something on the website for us and preach into our churches and record? Honestly, the Lord took me to that scripture and said, I'm unchanging. Nothing changes. You all change, but I will never change. And so I got back to scripture, Hebrews 13 verse 8. He's the same yesterday, today, forevermore. Everything that can change is changing, which is everything. But that which cannot change is Christ. And he's the same pre-COVID, during COVID, after COVID, and whatever happens next. And he doesn't change in his personality. He doesn't change in his promise. He doesn't change in what he's called us to. He doesn't change in his authority and power. None of that will ever change. And I'm stating the obvious, but I ask you again this morning, for now and your future, where is your anchor and who is your anchor? I'm convinced of this, still to this day, a correct view of Jesus will give us a correct view of everything else. And when our view of Christ is wrong, our view of everything else is wrong. We can't keep saying our Christology determines our missiology and our missiology determines our ecclesiology and our ecclesiology determines our eschatology. Simply saying, my revelation of Jesus determines my mission here on earth. How I see Jesus determines how I serve Jesus. And, and, and the church is determined by the mission we've been given and eschatology end times is understood by your revelation of Jesus. Now there's some in this room, I know that have come alive through this season because it's end times and here we go, vaccine passports and the mark of the beast and vaccines. And, and listen, I'm not getting into the politics. I'm just telling you, your view of, of end times is wrong if your view of Jesus is wrong. Are you there? We need a constant revelation of Jesus Christ because he determines everything. We've got to keep coming back to the Jesus of the Bible, not the Jesus of our culture. And the Jesus of the Bible doesn't have a place. He's been given first place in everything according to Colossians chapter one. And there's a big difference between having a place and having first place. First place means he's preeminent. It's him first in everything, not a place when we decide he has a place. And I've used this illustration, one of our friends, who, one of my team guys, the guys on our team preached in uh, the U.S. in our Chicago equipment, and he got up and he preached this. He said, Jesus is either fundamental or Jesus is ornamental. And if he's fundamental, we change and fit around him. If he's ornamental, he fits around us. And I, I kind of think, honestly, the church globally today has kind of made Jesus ornamental, like we add him on, we tag him on, we find room for him somewhere in it all, rather than he's the central theme and focus, and out of that we change, we become more like him. He is the absolute priority of everything. He will always be first place in everything. I think COVID-19 has exposed the foundation of the church. Too many churches have been built on personalities and giftings and anointings and everything other than Jesus. But I believe the shaking has revealed what we are anchored to. Coming out of this crazy season, I believe the church has reconnected with her bridegroom king and we'll do way more for him out of love than we will out of duty, religion, and responsibility. We will better represent him. Do you know, I grew up in this, nation, in this region, 
just down the road actually, quite far down the road, but down the road. And, and uh, I've bumped into some people even since I've been here. And here's the thing, they've tried church, but they haven't tried Jesus because they haven't found Jesus in his church. Why is that? Because we're misrepresenting him because we don't have the right revelation of him. That's why, my dear friends, we gotta keep contending for the revelation of Jesus. Jesus is our head. And a body without a head is a corpse, and our head is back in place, praise God. But can I say, he's not just the head, he's the heart of this church. A lot of people say, Jesus, my head, we're the heart. No, no, he's the head and the heart of this church. We're told to live our lives in him, on him, through him, under him, unto him, for him, with him, like him. How many believe it's all about him? So when people look at you and me, they should be seeing Jesus as our head, he's our heart, but he's also our hope. Colossians chapter 127 says, Christ in us is the hope of glory. We're not the hope of glory, Christ in us is the hope of glory. You know what we are? We are his hands and feet. The last time I looked, my hands and my feet do what my head tells it what to do. Nowhere does my hand tell my head to do something. Are you with me? And I know there's a couple of doctors. Hello, doctor over there. I can see Peter Baxter, doctor. I, 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 am I right though? My brain tells my, yes, thank you. I'm confirmed by the doctor. But I, I want to say that my head tells my hands and feet what to do. It's not the other way around. So the last time I looked, that's what God's told me. We should be representing Jesus. He tells us what to do. We simply his hands and feet serving what he's called us to. There's so many who are trying to shine their lights publicly, but they don't burn for Jesus privately. You can't shine something you don't carry in your heart and your passion. St. Francis, uh, sorry, St. Patrick said this, pray of St. Patrick's, may Christ shield me today. Christ with me, Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ in me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ on my right, Christ on my left, Christ when I lie down, Christ when I sit, Christ when I stand, Christ in the heart of everyone who thinks of me. Christ in the mouth of everyone who speaks of me. Christ in every eye that sees me. Christ in every ear that hears me. Let that be our cry, that whenever people think of you or think of this church or see you or hear you, who they see, Christ. I want that to be the testimony of my life and my ministry. Christ in everything and everyone who thinks of me. Verse four, let's move on. He says, for we know, brothers, loved by God, that he's chosen you. So the second thing is our position. And, and I really want to highlight this morning because I think we love telling the world how much God loves them. We love telling them the love of God and talking about the love of God. But I, I, I wonder at times if we've understood the love of God for ourselves. You see, you cannot give what you haven't got. You can't go tell them about the love of God if you haven't understood it. And Paul writes to this church and he talks about their priority being Christ. But then he talks about their position that they loved and chosen. Now I want to just tell you this morning, you're loved by God. Not because you're seated here this morning and you dared come to church and didn't stay in bed. He doesn't love you because you're here. He loves you, period, full stop. Not because you're good or bad or because you do good things or bad. He loves you, period, unconditionally. I've got two of my sons sitting in this room, and I want to tell you this, I love them unconditionally, with conditions. <laughs> I wish I could say, I love them regardless, but there are times I love them more when they do things I want them to do, when they listen to me, when they represent me, there is this heart, and all of you who are parents, you do too have conditions to your love for your kids. 
But that's not what God has for us. God, our Father, loves us, period. And you've got to get this again this morning. To carry the favor of God, you've got to know you've been loved by God. Loved and chosen. I believe that if I was the only person on this planet, I truly believe Jesus Christ would have come just for me. And I want to tell you this morning, if you were the only person on this planet, Jesus would have come just for you. And if you don't believe that, you cannot help those people out there who are looking for true love if we haven't experienced that love for ourselves. And Paul says of this church, you are loved and chosen. Not chosen, then loved. Loved first. Do you know the love of God? Do you know that you're loved? It doesn't matter what you've been told about yourself by your parents. If you don't know your parents, your teachers, or what you feel about you. I'm just telling you this morning, God loves you. Do you believe that? Unconditionally. Loved, but he doesn't just leave it there. And chosen. Chosen. So many people say, well, a crazy season. We don't know what we're doing. God chose you to be alive through this crazy season. Let that Grab your heart this morning. In this crazy season, loved and chosen, handpicked from heaven for such a time as this, according to Acts 17, verse 26. So trying to make sense of it all, I know it's difficult, but this I know, handpicked, loved and chosen. You are chosen by God. You remember we used to sing that song, one of my favorites, I found Jesus, delirious song. Remember? It was a great song. I feel like we could sing it now. But, but I want to just tell you, while it's a great song, theologically it's wrong. And I'm not having an issue. I'm just saying we sing it. But, but here's the thing. We never found Jesus because Jesus was never lost. What, what's more amazing is that he found us. We didn't find him. He found you. Not only did he love you, he found you. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. He found us and he chose us and he picked us and he saved us and he loves us and he's called us into this incredible inheritance to carry something of his favor. Paul reminds that church they are loved and chosen by God. And I want to say to you, Cornerstone, you are loved and chosen by God. Let that sink in so we can help those people out there realize how true that really is. Let's read on, verse 5. It says, Because our gospel came to you not simply with words, Some versions say not merely in the form of words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, with deep conviction. For you know how we lived among you for your sake. And so the third thing I want to say is power. Power is what's been given to God's people. That a church that is favored by God, a priority is Jesus Christ. Our position is loved and chosen. Understand that, live in that through any crazy season, unconditionally. Thirdly, power. He gives us power. Paul says, I did not come to you simply with word, but also with power. Now, word and power. Please hear that. Word and spirit. I know we get the, still have the great divide. Many divides in the church, but this is one of the greatest divides still to this day. Word or spirit. I don't know how we get a divide when the word of God doesn't show any divide. They hand in hand. They work together. And we need to understand that we've been given God's incredible power. We've been entrusted with power to carry His power. And here's what I found. And, and can I just read some troubling statistics? 
2021, September 21, it's a, a, from the Christian Post. I know it's an American thing, but I think it's here too. And, and it says this, the, the title is, Most Adult U.S. Christians Don't Believe the Holy Spirit is Real. It says, of an estimated 176 million American adults who identify as Christian, more than half do not believe that the Holy Spirit even exists. Majority of American self-identifying Christians believe that God is all-powerful, all-knowing, and is the creator of the universe. More than half reject the existence of the Holy Spirit. That's a problem. And I want to say that probably the reason most reject that is because we present the Holy Spirit as a blessing from God. And I'm going to just tell you, if he's a blessing from God, then we have the right to reject the blessing, whether we want that blessing or not. But I'm going to tell you this morning, the Word of God does not say the Holy Spirit is a blessing from God. The Word of God actually says that the Holy Spirit is God. So we're not rejecting a blessing, we're rejecting God himself. And I, I, I'm convinced that it's not those who directly oppose God's word who are the greatest threat to God's word. It's more those who claim to believe it, but who are ignorant to what it really says. And can I be bold enough to say, we are pretty ignorant to what the word of God says when it comes to the spirit stuff, because we just want to be about word, missing all the stuff that speaks about the spirit. Are you there, friends? Don't claim to believe it if you don't know what it says. And what I want to tell you the Bible says is that God is, the Holy Spirit is not a blessing from God. He is God. Now, I don't fully understand. I know the whole Trinity thing and people are like, I don't know about the Trinity. And like, I don't know. Someone said, if you try to explain the Trinity, you lose your mind. But if you don't explain the, the if you don't understand the Trinity, you lose your soul. So I'm doing my best to understand there is a one God. It's not three gods, one God, three persons. Love God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Equal, and they have different roles, but same God. We don't have three gods, we have one God. But we're good with the God the Father stuff, Jesus, God the, Holy, God the Son, we love. But the Spirit thing, not sure about it, so we just sideline and pretend He doesn't exist. Therefore, we have people who don't believe there's this third element to our God who is requiring of us to come back to submit and surrender and understand the role the Holy Spirit plays in everyday life as well as signs, wonders, and miracles. Are you there, my friends? 2 Corinthians 3.17. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. People think, well, that means wherever the Spirit is, there's freedom. I want to tell you the Spirit is right here, right now. And not everyone in this room is free. Because it's not saying where he is. It's when you submit or yield to the Spirit as Lord. That's where freedom comes. Some of us struggling in sin. Marcus picked up on this thing. Thank you for that golf clap over there. We will receive it. One in a million here. Thank you. I mean, I just love that declaration this morning of holiness. God's holiness and God's holiness. And isn't it amazing that we... We're more afraid of holiness than we are of sin. And, and there's people in this room who are struggling in sin. Now, can I tell you what? You cannot overcome sin by your flesh. You know who helps you overcome sin? Not just what Jesus did on the cross. The Spirit in us helps us overcome sin. When you yield to the Spirit, when you yield to the Spirit, Holy Spirit in you, 
that's where you overcome, sir. Can't do it in your own strength. Can't just claim a couple of scriptures and say, there it is, Lord. Let the Spirit, Holy Spirit, fire, burn, and bring holiness and just take some of that. Friend, yield to the Spirit as God. Now, what would you do? You can trust God, the Holy Spirit. Maybe you've had a bad experience. Put that aside. What will you do with God, the Holy Spirit? Philippiancy said, a society that denies the supernatural usually ends up elevating the natural to supernatural status. I want to say, in the church, if we deny the supernatural, you know what happens? We begin to elevate the natural to supernatural status. Gifts, people, preachers, ministries. And then when the shaking comes and the show is over, where are the people? Gone. Why? Don't need this. Don't understand. Why, friend? Because they did not have their faith in the supernatural God. They had faith in the gifts that have been given. We're in danger as the church. If we're rejecting the supernatural, then we're in danger again of elevating natural to supernatural status. And we have no power to reach the people God has called us to. Zechariah 4, 6, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And I love that he says his spirit, not a spirit, not the spirit, his spirit. And why I'm highlighting that, it seems that the church today is dominated more by the spirit of this age than it is by the spirit of Christ. We've got to rediscover our radical edge, walking in presence and power again. God's given it to, and the worst thing we can do with power, pretend we haven't got it. And so we have got his power. Would you yield to him? And people, can I just say this? We don't need to activate the Holy Spirit. Imagine us telling God, we activate you now. Can I also say this? We don't have to invite the Holy Spirit. Why? He's here already. He doesn't need an invitation. He's God. You know what we need to do? Honor the Holy Spirit. Honor Him and watch what He will do if we make room and honor Him and recognize the need for Him in our lives. Amen? Some of you say, oh, you know, Tyron, I love the, I desire the, the, the Spirit stuff, but I'm not sure about the unusual. It's kind of like saying, I want to swim, but I don't want to get wet. You're going to swim, you're going to get wet. There is some unusual about this because He's God, He's not us. And he does things. But, I, but I, I trust you in this room are stirred afresh to not just read your Bible, but to trust and believe what the Bible says about the Holy Spirit and make room for him. It's not up to your pastors to tell you. It's up to us as individuals to understand the role the Holy Spirit plays. He's a necessity. He's not an optional extra for deluxe Christians. And for this church's future, you need to know where you're called to go is going to require being led by the Spirit, empowered by the Spirit, doing what He's called us to do, going where He's called us to go, and operating in His power to reveal His glory to the people around us. Verse uh, verse 6, he says, You became imitators of us and of the Lord in spite of severe suffering. You welcome the message with joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so it became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Caia. The fourth thing I want to just highlight is that we are called to be a pattern, not the pattern, a pattern. Paul says, you became a model. In other words, you were revealing to others what it means to be a follower of Jesus. 
You see, we keep going back to Scripture and looking at what the book of Acts is and say, that's what we need to be. But can we get beyond just that and begin to live that out so when we can see the book of Acts and see us today, we can see we actually are doing that, not just longing for what they were doing in the early church. My great country, and I, I hear it here, I've been here a month, it's here too. This is what we say. We need a Christian government. And we need a Christian political people. And we need Christian teachers. And we need Christian schools. And we need Christian businesses. And we need Christian songs. And we need Christian books. And we need Christian, can I say those things are important, but more than that, we need Christian Christians. Sorry. We just need to be Christians. And that's important to have those things, but we love to def. Like, like deflect, we need more of that. We, don't know, we, just, we are here to be a pattern to others of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Not perfect, but a pattern reflecting. I'm getting a few amens from the back. Isn't that great? Thank you. The children are amening me here. Please don't miss the moment. We need you and me to be Christians. What the Bible shows is what we to be. And I believe this church has operated as a pattern, an A pattern, a model. There's more. Keep walking in what God has for you. Just be it. Rather than talk about it, let's come be it. And we'll see a whole lot of, I think, greater effectiveness. Be it. Don't just talk about it. Can I pass? Part of that is believe God's joined you to this church for the seasons. Part of being a pattern. It's very hard. I'm just going to, they didn't pay me to say this. They didn't pay me, so I can say whatever. But... It's very hard to lead people who are not convinced they should be part of this. And I'm not trying to get you in here. I'm just trying to get you where God wants you to be. But settle where God puts you. Even if you don't like the people, God puts you, not where you like, where he puts you. Are you with me? It's very hard to reach the world when you're not convinced you should be part of this. And it's like every time, and so I just want to, if we're going to be a pattern, be it and don't just talk about it, but belong, get involved in what God's doing, not with Cornerstone, with this group of people who are the church reflecting who he's called them to be. People say, I'm not sure I belong. I'm just going to tell you, you don't belong, but you belong where God makes you fit. I'm not sure I fit. Let him fit you where he wants you. Isn't it amazing? Think about this. God does never talk about friends. He talks about family. Why are we put in a family? I want to tell you, I was put in a family not by my choice. I didn't choose my family. I was born into that family. And let me tell you, we didn't get along at every level, but we were in a family, and my brothers and my parents taught me to grow up because God put me with people who are not like me. Not friends, family. We're family here, friends. Look around and say, we're different. Yeah, God puts you different with people who are different. You know why? To help you grow up. To help you mature. So you got to look for your friends. These people will become your friends, but you're in a family here. Look at the family element and say, we grow up and we work together. Verse 8. says, the Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, your faith in God has become known everywhere. Again, what happens here never stays here. God wants his gospel to ring out from this place, from this place to regions and places. And that's been the testimony of this great church. That God has used this church. In most nations I travel to, someone's there from this nation, planted or sent out or 
and I just want to say well done, but there's more, and God's called you to have the message ringing out people going from this place. What happens here should never stay here. Charles Spurgeon says the whole business of the whole church to preach the whole gospel to the whole world. And those of us who are all about what uh, St. Francis of Assisi said when he said, preach the gospel and if necessary, use words. You've heard that? I understand what he's saying, but biblically he's wrong. We don't just live it, we have to preach it. We call to declare the gospel. Good news is called to be spoken. It's kind of like saying, hey, let's go feed the, feed the hungry this afternoon, and if necessary, let's give them food. Now, I know what he's saying. We need to live what we preach, but let's preach what we live. Let's preach. Let's declare. This needs to be declared. Some good news is needed in South Africa right now, and it's not going to come through your government who's deciding to change load shedding, and you might get an hour, another hour, and we live for that. I know it's a real thing, but the good news of the gospel needs to be declared, and it's going to ring out in everyday life, friends. Go and preach it. Go and tell the world about Jesus. That's our job. That's our call. That's what God high, he, he, he favors the people where the message is ringing out. Those of us who love to gossip, here's the thing. Gossip the good news, the gospel. That's the only thing you're allowed to talk about. So go and gossip, but God blesses that gossip. No other gossip. Amazing in the end times how Jesus focuses the end times on mission. Every time he's asked or talks about the end times, he says, don't get caught up in this stuff. Acts 1, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Not for you to tire, no times and days, he said. That's said by my own father's authority. None of your business. Stop worrying about that. But you will receive power and be my witnesses. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. Matthew 24, these things will begin to happen. And they are signs that the end is beginning. But, verse 14, this gospel of the kingdom will be preached as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. Let's not get caught up in times and dates. Let's get on with the mission, the mandate we've been given to take this gospel to the uttermost parts of the earth. We land with this last point. He goes on in verse 9. He says, Therefore we do not need to say anything about it, for they themselves report what kind of reception God, you gave us. They tell how you've turned from God from, uh, sorry, they tell how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true nature and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who rescues us from the coming wrath. To wait for the son from heaven. You see, the early church, any of the, uh, the illust uh, examples we can read through scripture, the early church people believed Jesus was coming back while they were alive. And they were wrong. But look how they lived. They were gripped with eternity. They gripped with eternity that this life is a sheer little moment in light of eternity. And, and I want to say, it, it, this crazy season has forced many of us to come back to what really matters. I've lost family members through COVID. People, and some of you, I've lost friends. 
I've lost team members who've died from this crazy thing. And all of a sudden, we begin to question and get back to what really matters. Now, here's the thing. As things become a little more normal, I'm watching the church get back to a lot more normal of who cares. Let's just get on with our own lives, enjoy life while we're here, live it like, no, no, friend, we gotta be gripped by eternity. God favors a people who get the understanding eternity is for real. See, what motivates you and I is being gripped by eternity. These guys were waiting for the return of Jesus. I believe Jesus is coming back soon. I believe he's coming back in my lifetime. Can I show you that biblically? No, because the Bible says no one knows, not even the Son of God. But I do know this. I want to lead and live according to that truth that Jesus will come back while I'm alive. And if I'm wrong, it doesn't matter. If I'm right, it matters. And so we've got to get gripped again with eternity. This life is a dress rehearsal for the next. This is the dressing room for the next, forever, for eternity. And it's not to bring fear, but it's to be captivated again. What you do here has eternal ramifications forever. It matters how we give our lives here. It matters. And C.S. Lewis said this, if we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. He also says this, prosperity knits a man to the world. He feels that he is finding his place in it while actually it is finding its place in him. I believe you cannot confess that this world is not your home, yet fear giving up the keys to your house. <laughs> For too long, we have only asked one-sided question, and the question is this. If you were to die tonight, where would you spend eternity? And that's a good question, and it's a necessary question, because it honestly determines your eternity, where you'll spend it and with who. But that's kind of the only question we ask. If you to die tonight, and I wanna ask you this morning, if you don't know Jesus, you better have an answer to that. Where will you spend eternity if you are to die tonight? But I also wanna challenge the rest of us who are believers. If you wake up tomorrow, who or what will you live for? It's as important a question. You need to know how to answer that because I'm telling you, if you wake up tomorrow as a believer, there's a reason for it. It's to get on with the task God has called us to, to be captivated by eternity, to know what we do in this life really matters. Can we